Just hit a button, Morty. Give me a beat. Oh, man. Okay. All right. Um. Yo, welcome to the new episode of Not Your Weekly Sports Pod, man. We freaking made it. Hey, welcome back. Welcome back. What, uh, what is it? What's the phrase we're going with now? Same us, different it. week. <laughs> <laughs> same same squad, new week. Uh, some some sort of iteration of that. I think we can make or mess around with it every week. I think if, if I'm going to have to actually remember this, I'm going to have to put it in writing and actually memorize it and not make it organic. But, you know, what can we say? We're corny little fucks. Well, well speaking of the new episode, man, we got into Build a Real Deal of all the ball and we got a new, we got a new guest in here, man. My boy chef couldn't make it this week but you know we got a good old substitute in we got my best man we got the og we got the kid that i grew up with that i've known my whole life sherry our man what it do fella what's going on guys how's it going Ch- chilling man chilling i'm excited for you to be able to join us on the spicy episode of this podcast right here man so i don't know about y'all man if we want to start it off with doing anything uh what what does it say about the houston rockets it, it hurts it hurts and you know shahari is a fellow houston rockets fan it's good to it's always good to share depression with yeah. other people so so I'm ready to have a good conversation just for a little quick uh, Rockets talk before the season ends tonight. Yeah, man. I mean, if we look at it, right, shared negative experiences is what really ends up defining friendships and relationships. So to be able to share another negative relationship with you, Sherry, I'm, I'm more than excited. I'll always be there. So quick quick side note, I'll, I'll, me and Sherry had a very bad experience. Whenever I think all of Houston remembers that shot that Damian Lillard had on Ooh. Chandler Parsons. We were there celebrating prematurely, thinking that we won the game, we're off to the next round and literally a second in we come back we're watching the game and dame just decides to shut the whole series down with a shot over chandler parsons and parsons career never honestly took off after that so what was that that was 2014, was 2014. Uh, first round series rockets and trailblazers do you guys remember exactly where you were when uh, that damian yeah, lillard oh, shot went ab- in game six absolutely I, I literally was looking it was me sherry and his friend victor at the time as well our friend victor we were literally watching the game and we're like all right we won we got this let's celebrate you know do a little bit of fun times and then literally we look at each other dame shoots the shot and we're like this can't be fucking true yeah parsons hits the uh the go-ahead bucket with like 0.5 seconds left we were um i was at what's that wing place in stafford texas oh Ooh, uh wings and things or i think it's a wing it might be a wing no it's not a wings and things but either way we were there for like the entire game fourth quarter we decided to go to galveston to a beach house uh one of our sorority friends and we listened to the broadcast over the radio and oh, we God. had to pull over on the side of I-45 and just like sit in a moment of silence in the car. So life as a Houston Rockets fan, um, if you don't know this already and you're not from Houston listening to this podcast, uh, Jeff Bezos, we're talking to you when you purchase a team eventually. <laughs> um, it's not it's not really fun when you have the things that we go through like this last weekend, the Astros, the Rockets, the Texans all lose big games in the same night. And while it may be depressing, maybe it's a sign that, you know, as 2020 draws to an end, all things are returning to normal. Houston teams are losing. <laughs> uh, we're really, we're seeing an exit early in our postseason careers. So yeah. maybe that gives you a sliver of hope there. Dude, I mean, yeah, let's let's get to that directly, man. I think we were all looking forward to having a competitive series between us and the Lakers, thinking it's going to go seven. But, I mean, we have the game, you know, tonight. We're, we're recording this on the 12th of September, and, uh, you know, seeing the game seven tonight, or sorry, no, game five? No, game, game six. Five. Game five. Tonight's game five. We're down 3-1 after LeBron stole our hearts last game. After, I'm sorry, after playoff Rondo stole our hearts playoff last game. Playoff Rondo's a new just thing. Just kills us. Yeah, dude. <laughs> I mean, just looking into this, it's just so depressing knowing that, hey, we're stuck with the contracts of 
Russell Westbrook, James Harden, and legit probably most of this team, and we really can't make any moves going forward. So you kind of got to run it back. And I think it's safe to say that we're we're calling it quits, man. I, I don't see this. You think so? I, I just I don't see it. Three one deficit against LeBron James and Anthony Davis. I mean, I think Daryl Morey has said this best before. Was hey, you know, this is a this is a league of having the largest collection of talent. Yeah. Our big two isn't as good as their big two. Yeah, and, and they're not as complementary as the no, other big twos, true. right? Russell, you look at the schemes, the defensive schemes that the Lakers are running on the Rockets, and having Anthony Davis guarding Russ and being able to be just a complete shadow help side defender with Russ being an absolute zero from three-point range, it, it's really crippled this offense. And I think for the first time in, what, five years, the Rockets shot less than 33-point yeah. attempts in a game in game, five, in game four? Yeah, I, th- I think the main thing we look at, it, even though I think the last game we scored over like 40% shooting, I think the volume of threes that we took, you know, it doesn't matter if you should 60 or 70%. If you take 10 threes, you're not going to beat this team at all. Yeah. And, you know, I think this is kind of when we miss CP3, knowing that, hey, CP3 may not be able to get past his defender, but knowing that he was a clutch shooter at all points, you, you're never worried about a defender leaving Chris Paul completely open, as you see now with Russell Westbrook. Russell Westbrook is completely left open now. Can we can we all agree here as Houston fans, the 2018 Houston Rockets would absolutely run roughshod over this Lakers team? Dude, that team was ready to take over from Golden State Warriors. The greatest sure. team of all time. Yeah, and they were ready to do it. All it took was CP3 getting injured at the last moment for us to just blow the lead and lose 27 no, no, no. Not not even make one three-pointer. We missed 27 yeah. three-point shots. That's the crazy thing about it. You still probably win that game seven without CP3, uh, but it takes a CP3 hamstring and a historic collapse from three-point line to lose to the greatest team uh, ever in game seven. So going off of that point, Nabil, I want to ask you this. Um, so game five, you really think there's no hope. I think I think the problem is like man I I don't I don't see any rationale for me to watch these next two games until wow. we get to a game seven I, I just don't I just I, look I've been disappointed so many times and I think the false pretense this year of thinking that we can go all the way right no Warriors team anymore the East is looking open right wow, the Bucks yeah, the were, East is bad the, yeah. the, the, the the Bucks are gone our, our main the main competition that we had that we matched up poorly against is completely gone you have you're probably gonna play either Boston or Miami which I think we match up pretty well against yeah that's gone so I, this was a perfect opportunity to take advantage of you know James Harden is literally in the thick of his prime you know russell westbrook's in the thick of his prime this was the opportunity for you to take over and you can't you know maximize on it lebron's on his you know this 35 now he's not getting any old he's not getting any younger and ad you know as as bad of a matchup we always have with pj tucker i think pj tucker's done a great job in trying yeah, to guard he's, Anthony he's, Davis. i think he's he's done a better job than most right oh, most yeah. in, the, oh, yeah. in the playoffs and you look at the plus minus numbers with pj tucker um, game three, prior to game four, I think there was something like plus 25 with P.J. Yeah. Tucker on the floor okay. and minus, I, I don't remember the minus numbers, but it really is quite astounding what a different team they are on the court with P.J. Yeah. And now, he, let me give you a sliver yeah. of hope, though. Let me try to, I, I agree with you. I'm depressed. I, I, I'm i going to try to like track the game on my phone tonight as I watch Christopher Nolan's Tenet. Hey. Um, but there's only been two teams in NBA history to come back down from a 3-1 deficit in the NBA semifinals. Would you guys, just trivia here, does anyone know what those two teams are? Uh, the was, Clippers and the Rockets? Not the Clippers. Was but the that? Rockets when we were playing against but the Clippers. But the Rockets when we were playing against the Clippers, Warriors? against CP3. Was it the Warriors with the uh, Dallas Mavericks? Was it that? No, probably not. That was that. the first round. That no, first and, round. The, and the Warriors right. jumped on that series. That was. It was the Warriors losing the 3-1 lead to the Cavaliers that that time. That was the NBA Finals. So NBA I'm talking finals. strictly semifinals. Okay, okay. No, it was the 2018 Houston, or I'm sorry, the 2015. Uh, 
15. Yeah, 15. 2015 Houston Rockets, you're right. right. With Dwight Howard. And the 1995 Houston Rockets are the only two teams in NBA history. So who knows? If history repeats itself, well, if there's it, any team that can do it, maybe it's the Houston Rockets. The, but they just showed no effort yeah. in that last game. So many wide-open backdoor cuts from Caruso and Rondo. So many lapsed defensive schemes. And I'll tell you what, man. A lot of people are scapegoating Russell Westbrook's offense, which is a valid point. You know, it's tough having him out there to compliment Harden. But his defense has been just as bad. Yeah, I mean, I, I think, you know, having Rajon Rondo look like the Boston Celtics Rajon Rondo, it, <laughs> it's, Rondo. It's, it's, it's looking horrible. Yeah, I mean, Rondo's looking like the third piece. It should have been Kuzma, and Kuzma's been, you know, on and off as well. But, man, it's just it's so many things. It's seeing that, okay, you know, Harden and, uh, Harden and Westbrook are trying to play their best right now. They're, you know, they're, they're playing to the best of their abilities, but then you're having a combined, you know, three points from Robert Covington and P.J. Tucker. You know, that's just not going to take you far in, the, in, in playing LeBron James and Anthony Davis. So I think it's going to be a lot of going back to the drawing board, and I think that brings me to my next point of, you know, is this drawing board going to have Mike D'Antoni? Oh, man, that's tough. Um, personally, I don't think so. No? I think all the noise you've He's heard. He's gone. Yeah, I think all the noise you've heard, there's gonna there's a, just a culture issue with this team, right? Yeah. You've got with what's happened with Daniel House in the bubble, whether or not those allegations are true. I feel the like that's guy, a, we don't we don't need to get into that. That's like a whole other topic in itself. The lapses in effort that this team experiences, the lackadaisical hard and walking the ball up the court and not moving without the ball. I think you need a coach that can hold them accountable. And I don't think Dan Tony's that coach for this team. I, you know, you look at the trajectory of the Rockets over the last couple of decades and the head coaching tenures usually tend to last about four to five seasons. And what, this is year four with Dan Tony. Yeah, man. I mean, I think Dan Tony's done a great job. I think, I think we can all collectively agree that he's done a much better job than Kevin McHale ever could have done with this team. <laughs> Trash <laughs> as coach don't don't trash on my boy jb bickerstaff oh my god yeah i think we used to make the joke all the time like kevin McHale just looking panically at jb bickerstaff (laughs) like jb what do we do bernie help me yeah (laughs) so i think yeah i I think we're gonna we need a true x's and o's coach and you know i think this brings us to the next point of coaching man i mean the new coach of the brooklyn nets steve Steve nash Nash. what's up dude i i mean i i think there's been a lot of controversy involved with the new coaching uh you know struggle as well so you know the houston rockets are going to have a new coach coming up too who is it going to be is it going to be a coach that's had previous experience coaching in the nba at the highest level or is it going to be a you know a player that's played at the highest level but has never coached and quote unquote you know skip the line in front of all the other players that are uh, very viable candidates I'm, i'm so ready to talk steve nash and whether or not it's a prime example of white privilege and break down the true uh, context of the situation but i will say my prediction regarding the rockets for our rockets listeners tillman fertitas had a tendency to really really fiend for the big names and i think he's going to get someone that has prior coaching experience and is one of those big names like a mark jackson a jeff and gundy maybe even a tyrone Lou. so i I don't think they're going to go with a like a nick nurse g league type new nurse a new nurse a new New coach Yeah, I wouldn't be surprised. I wouldn't be surprised if we go either way, in all honesty. I think from what we've seen with the Steve Nash hiring, it's all going to be dependent on who Russ and James Harden won as a coach. 100%. And I think it's going to be, you know, if Russ and James love D'Antoni, I mean, obviously, I think D'Antoni's not going to be here, but I think it's going to be, you know, uh, similar to that trajectory of, okay, is it going to be an offensive-minded coach? Because I know for damn sure that James Harden and Russell Westbrook probably don't want a defensive-minded coach at all. Mm -hmm. So it's going to be somebody that I think loves the office. I think it's going to be somebody that's won a championship before and you know or it could be somebody that has a pedigree of just being one of the best of all time which gets us to again steve nash is 
was this hiring viable? Was this, you know, was this an actual, was this a choice that you would have made if you were the Brooklyn Nets to hire Steve Nash? So we've got some different opinions on the pot today. I, I think a couple of us are going to side with Steve Nash that this is not a controversial signing, that it's not going to be a case of white privilege. And a couple of us are going to argue against that. So just to lay things out before we get into whether or not it was a controversial contract, for those of us who weren't fans of the NBA in the early, mid-2000s, can we just lay out Steve Nash's resume? Yeah. Like how forgotten he is in the grand scheme of point guard play and this new generation of basketball? Yeah, please. First Go ballot Hall of Famer. All right. So first ballot Hall of Famer. Let's lay out his resume real quick. Two-time MVP, mm -hmm. right? Back-to-back -back MVP in the 2005-2006 season. A lot of people think he stole that 06 MVP from Kobe when he was averaging like 35 a game. Yeah. But people don't remember, man. Steve Nash, that second season, the Suns didn't have Amari Stoudemire, and they still won 60 games and were the second seed in the Western yeah, Conference. Yeah, that was, that was Steve Nash taking a team with Leandro Barbosa, Raja Bell, and Boris Diaw. Boris, a skinny, <laughs> a slim-down Boris Diaw off his French croissants. <laughs> the amount of carbs that man probably took in just to retain that physique. <laughs> By God. But um, Steve Nash, only NBA player in history with two MVPs under six foot six. Yeah. So, I mean... Takes skill, takes knowledge of the game to do that. That's one thing. What else you got, Nabil? 50, 40, 90 club. Yeah, four seasons of doing that. Yeah. Only two other players in history have had more. Yeah, I, mean, I think we he's the poster it. child for that stat line. Yeah, we talk about efficiency, right? I think Steve Nash was the definition of efficiency in an era that really relied on the mid-range shot. You had a guy that got to the rim at any time. Probably the 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 best pick and roll that I've ever seen since the, ever. since what Stockton Malone probably yeah. like greatest. Yeah. So, you know, against a guy that, honestly, Amari Stoudemire got his contract simply because of Steve Nash. I think this, I think that was the main rationale behind that. Amari owes Steve Nash several wine baths because of what he did for his career. <laughs> um, and you want to talk about getting to the line, Nabil. Steve Nash, all-time leading free throw shooter in NBA history. Yeah. Career 90% free, 90.43% free throw shooter. Uh only one I can think of right now that's even close is Steph Curry, number three all time at 89%. So people think Steph Curry's an efficiency machine. Steve Nash shot 90% for his entire career, a long NBA career that extended into age 41. Yeah. Uh, well, we talking about how many all NBA teams he's made. I mean, this guy was on what the all NBA team pretty much the whole time during his tenure as MVP. Yeah. And, yeah. During that whole time with Phoenix and all honesty, if I'm not mistaken. Third all-time leader in NBA history in assists. Would have probably been bigger if his career uh, started out with more starting role as opposed to being a bench player in Phoenix. Yeah. So, yeah, man. Steve, I mean, the resume's there. Yeah. And I think the most important thing about his resume to put things in context. And you guys disagree with me at any mm -hmm. point if you want here. But, y'all, like today's NBA, it's all three-point shots. It's all yeah. getting to the rim and three-point shots. And what team transformed the NBA into this kind of hyper-driven, fast-paced, run-and-gun offense that we see? Warriors. The Warriors. I mean, initially the, the Phoenix Warriors. Suns. The Phoenix Suns with Mike D'Antoni. The Phoenix Suns with yeah. Mike D'Antoni. Yeah, the Warriors just jacked it up. They cranked it up a notch, right? So for a guy who ran the show, who was the floor general for the transitional point in the NBA— Steve Nash kind of owns a special spot in NBA history, and to be a head coach to bring that knowledge to a team, I think, is very valuable. You can't put a price on that. Oh, I, would, I would completely agree with that, man. I think the main thing when I look at Steve Nash is also Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving single-handedly wanted you to be, to coach them, right? Nash has had experience before, you know, not formally coaching, but how many times did we hear about the fact that Steve Nash and Kevin Durant will be doing private workouts with them in Golden State? Uh, how many times did we hear that Kevin Durant was directly influenced by the style of play 
that Steve Nash had. How, how, how cool is it to say that you were coached by your hero? Yeah, a lot of people don't know that. He was an advisor for the Warriors for the last several years during their prime championship runs. And in today's superstar-driven league, I mean, you, you have to cater to these yeah. stars, right? Look at James Harden, for example. Let's bring this back to the Rockets to kind of connect it to a familiar background. James, like CP3 and James Harden were a picture-perfect fit, right? However, in this day and age where superstars are demanding trades and going wherever they want, the Rockets knew James Harden wanted CP out and he wanted Westbrook in. And as it may have been detrimental to the team and the future of the team with the assets they gave up, they had to make it happen because you have to cater to these superstars. So is that why we believe this is why it happened? Do y'all think that this was the reason? No, I don't think that's why it happened. I think it comes down to privilege. At the end of the day, Steve Nash wanted a position where he was put in the position to get it. I'm not taking anything away from Steve Nash. I'll tell you this before I start off on my tangent is, is that Steve Nash is, I will give him the best record that I've given anyone. He's an amazing player. He's a standing ovation. He's done everything right in his career to be where he is. He hasn't won an NBA championship, though, and he's never, let me repeat that one more time, he has never coached a team. So when we're talking about that, you look at a great like Sam Cassell, right? A Houston Rocket, played with Hakeem Olajuwon, one of the greatest players of all time. Give him much respect. Even when he was fasting, this guy decided to, you know, still play in the NBA. Yeah. So let's just say Sam Cassell, amazing amazing coach why didn't he get an opportunity or patrick ewing i mean he was on the assistant staff for orlando for several years and he couldn't get an nba job even when the knicks had vacancies they didn't offer him that position mark jackson so i I completely agree with your point share i think a lot of this ends up going down to relationships made yeah and i think those relationships end up going a very long way for example jason kidd and Derek fisher I, i look at Derek fisher as a prime example right we look at the brooklyn nets Huge market, obviously you're in New York, but what's the team of New York? It's the New York Knickerbockers, right? And when Phil Jackson took over as what a VP of player operations or one of those really high C-suite executive roles, he ended up choosing a guy who's had no experience whatsoever. And honestly, probably even even though he's won championships before as a player, he was never the focal point of that team. He, not even close. He's probably not even the third best player on that team. They got took Derek Fisher to be the head coach of the New York Knicks with no experience. Same thing you can say about Jason. Jason Kidd, dude. Kidd, yeah, yeah, like the, the when Jason Kidd came in too. Yeah, he point guard savant, but I, I would say that Steve Nash was a better point guard collectively than Jason Kidd ever was. Maybe Jason Kidd has longer longevity as a player, but the IQ I would say that Steve Nash had a much higher IQ going in. And again, the Brooklyn Nets are a relatively new franchise, right? This franchise has only been in existence for what the past maybe five years, I believe, or yeah, something for, like that? Yeah, for Brooklyn, at least. For Brooklyn, uh, yeah. The not, not New, New Jersey, Jersey Nets go way back. Right, not the New Jersey Nets, but this new right. you know, this new ownership, new ownership and regime yeah. that we have in Brooklyn is relatively new, and to take a risk with a player that Kyrie Irving... Okay, look, if we also look at it from this standpoint, Kyrie Irving, if you look at a lot of his game, I think it's predicated upon Steve Nash, right? You know, maybe not to this point of, like, scoring, but the, the facilitation that he has, trying to become more of a pure point guard rather than a scoring first point guard, I think Kyrie, would, uh, Kyrie and Steve... Steve Nash would do wonders. And if you look at Kevin Durant, Kevin Durant is just a fucking anomaly, right? Six foot 11 with the handles of a point guard and shooting guard. He has a lot of Steve Nash in him as well that I see. So to emulate what they have and compare that to the point guard facilitation of what Steve Nash can bring to this team, I think it's the perfect fit for Brooklyn, you know, minus the privilege that you believe that uh, that Steve Nash may have. Oh, sorry. Can I, can, let me push back okay. real quick before you make another point here. What would you say about Doc Rivers and his first coaching job with no prior experience getting 
the Orlando Magic coaching job. What would you say about Mark Jackson's first coaching job? No coaching experience prior to that. Isaiah Thomas having a coaching job, getting fired from the Knicks, and then going to the female WNBA team in New York, having sexual harassment cases, getting fired and coming back with another team. Um, There's countless other examples where African-American head coaches came straight into the league without any prior experience. But as Nabil stated, the relationships mattered. Isaiah Thomas's relationship with James Dolan and being friends with him on a personal level got him that job. Doc Rivers, the relationships he made as a point guard in the NBA and, and you know having a son go through the AAU circuit with a lot of other young players got him that role. So, Nabil, I'm with you on this. I think it really does come down to relationships. But let me hear what you have to say about that. I think it comes down to relationships. I agree. You know, at the end of the day, if uh, Nabil has a job a position open, he's probably going to give it to me rather than someone he doesn't know. But you also have to look at is that this this franchise right here, the Nets, are y'all going to lie to me and say they're not an NBA championship contender next year? Are they not going to yeah. be ready to yeah. be looking for a championship, yeah. right? Oh, they are. Okay, uh, look at uh, Steve Kerr, right? He had won championships with Michael Jordan, and then he won a bunch of championships on himself as a coach. He got that opportunity to do that because he had experience coaching. Yeah, on a he, great coaching staff. Yeah, that's true. You get what I mean? Yeah. Is, is that you get the opportunity to build a dynasty that way. Greg Popovich, one of the greatest coaches of all time. You learn through experience and not having Steve Nash there without any experience. It's a very big thing at the end of the day when it comes down to the play of the century where it goes on KD's online 0.9 seconds and who's making the play? Steve Nash. You better hope to God he makes the right play because he's a brand new coach. Well, sure. I'll also ask you this, right? Like, even though he became the head coach of this team, they're still retaining Jacques Vaughn, right? They're still retaining yeah, the assistant coaches that were on that team that were the previous head coaches. So you still had the X's and O's guys. You still end up retaining, you know, the guys that really know the technical analysis of what you need to do from, a, you know, to, to get the right play across. But you're getting this guy in Steve Nash that can facilitate an offense. And essentially, that's what you're really looking for from an X's and O standpoint from the Nets, right? You have to have Kyrie end up facilitating this offense and have a pick and roll with Kevin Durant. What other pick and roll have we had in this past century that can say was as successful as Steve Nash and Amari Stoudemire? Hell, I think a pick and roll with Kyrie Irving and Kevin Durant is probably going to be the uh, the most talented pick and roll duo that we've ever seen since, you know, Steph and Katie. But even Steph and Katie, they really didn't end up running a pick and roll. They ran more of an, uh, a perimeter game more than anything else. Yeah. So being able to see, you know, a pick and roll and help that facilitated by Steve Nash, dude, I think that's a perfect fit for this team. I'm not saying it's not a perfect fit, but not as the head coach. He could have uh, obviously been the assistant coach, and he could have moved up maybe one of the other coaches. Um, Tyron Lue is a perfect example. You could have him as the coach. Kyrie didn't want him. If if we wanted Tyron Lue, Kyrie and Tyron Lue won a championship together in Cleveland, bro. If if he wanted Tyron Lue, Tyron Lue would have been the head coach of this team in a pronto. I don't know what uh, previous beef they've had or, you know, what problem he's had with Tyron Lue, but he clearly didn't want him. Kyrie clearly wanted one coach. He wanted Steve Nash. I I don't know the reason behind Sherry. I don't know the reason behind it at all. Maybe somebody he looked up to and having a hero complex to do it. But, you know, I don't know. But, you know, Sherry, to your point, I, I... 
I don't understand if this is a race thing or if this is a meritocracy thing, right? Because when I look hmm. at the when I look at this from from basketball standpoint, man, I think you know sports are one of the few things in this world, not like corporate America, not like medicine, that you know if I if I had a job or if you had a job and you needed to hire somebody to do your marketing for you or you know do your IT stuff, you'd hire me or I'd hire you, obviously. But it's the thing of all right, you know what? In in sports. I can't hire my friend. I need to know who the best candidate is for that job because if I don't hire the best candidate, my competition will and they're going to end up winning that championship, right? So sports, I feel like, is the only frontier in the whole world that is truly relying on meritocracy. And if they believe that Steve Nash can end up winning them a championship, they will hire him. Asian, black, white, doesn't matter. They will hire him. Hell, I look at one example, right? If we're talking about privilege, dude, look at Miami. Look at freaking Eric Spolster. Eric Spolster, yeah. Do we have any, do we have any coach that's Filipino in this league dude if Spolstra started out as a fucking as a freaking what a video a jockey video guy yeah, yeah. And, and from there he's had the opportunity to coach the greatest players of our generation he's coached Dwayne Wade Shaquille O'Neal LeBron James Chris Bosh now Jimmy Buckets so I, I think that that merit and the reason that he's been able to retain that job for so long is just because the continued excellence that he's had in Miami Dude, and I mean, in all honesty, if I'm looking at, you know, other coaches that have had no experience, sure, if we're looking at Indiana, right, Indiana is looking to hire Chauncey Billups, right, black coach, right, no previous coaching experience whatsoever, but play but you know he has won a ring before with uh, the Detroit Pistons you know where, where's the privilege with that I think that's the main problem that I'm having is that are we we're hiring new coaches that don't have experience but is it privilege or is it meritocracy I think it goes hand in hand I think there's privilege that goes into it and I think meritocracy that goes into it I think that um as uh Middle Easterners, Asians, um and other people of race we and Persians always, we're Persians. our own race just so you know okay the chosen ones the chosen ones, according <laughs> to uh, once you go Mr. Persian, Ball over here. Right, once you go Persian, but, uh, the Persian. I think it's that we've always had to work twice as hard to get to where we are. It's always been the fact that, oh, um, you want to hire him? What does he have versus someone else? Oh, he went to Harvard Medical School. He graduated top of his class. He was summa cum laude. He was on the dean's list. He was in a position that he worked so hard that his merits four were way above anyone else in the position and available for that position which is why they got it but i agree that there are opportunities that steve nash has proven that he is a great person a great player and a, a genius but at the end of the day it's always been that we've always had to work twice as hard to be at the same place as someone else so question about that right if you is it so are you saying that steve nash did not work as hard as somebody as uh, a chauncey billups who's getting the same opportunity with indiana are i'm we, i'm saying it like a, like you said eric spolstra he started off as a video guy then he worked himself up from being an assistant coach to becoming the head coach it wasn't that it was just given to him on a you know perfect little platter but, but shahari there's other examples of guys who it was given to them on a perfect platter magic johnson got the gm job in la with zero front office experience uh, you look at other guys. You look at some of the coaches we just lifted, listed off. Mark Jackson was a color commentator before he got the coaching job in Golden State. But Magic Johnson himself had become a genius businessman savant, and you can't take that away this from him. This is right after he retired. This was in the mid-'90s. And again, my problem with that is being a genius savant doesn't give you uh, the head stance to realize talent on a basketball team and to get that talent over, right? Like I could be a genius real estate developer, but that's not going to give me an idea. Yeah, for he, he, he wasn't qualified for that job and he, he didn't do a good job with that LA team. They actually had to move on to him, move on from him to get the Kobe and Shaq era going and putting the right pieces around them.
I think my I think my whole thing about this man is that if you're saying that you know we have to work twice as hard, which you know what I I do believe that for certain um you know for certain industries right like industries in business industries such as law engineering you know things like that where it's more of a buddy buddy system and people that have already had a certain status quo can retain that status quo to bring that those people in that they want and you know keep it that way right rather than hiring the most qualified. I I totally agree with that. I'm not going to deny that. But I think in sports that's counterintuitive, right? Like if you for example if it's we're talking about this as like an old white boys club, right? If you're going to try to keep that in for a basketball team, dude, you're going to be behind. You got to you got to yes. roll with the punches, right? Yeah. You look at analytics, look at things like that. Look at things such as all right, you know what? We haven't been winning. You know what dictates, you know, financials, you know what dictates uh, keeping talent and retaining that? It's winning. And if I'm not winning with this old boys club, it's time for change, right? It doesn't matter if you're white, black, whatever it is. I think whatever, if you can win me a championship and if you can prove to me that you are, you know, you are somebody that my players want to play for, dude, you are all in. I think that's the main problem that I keep having, man. It's just like, you know, if, if it's somebody that you want to play with, you're going to bring them. If your star talents that you guys keep in mind, guys, Kyrie and KD, that's half a billion dollars that you have invested in these two players for the next three, four years, yeah, right? If point. they are not happy, dude, you've just not only thrown away half a billion dollars, but then people that are going to come watch the games, they're not going to come and watch the games if they're not successful either. And on top of that, how much hype have we put behind the Brooklyn Nets? I think all of us collectively believe that they're going to win or they're going to be in the running for winning the championship next year if they're all healthy. Yeah, 100%. And, and just to just to make this point clear, a lot of the white coaches we see in the NBA now, with the exception of Steve Kerr, who had prior front office experience, they start out as assistants. Like this is Steve Nash getting this role straight away as a head coach is a little bit of an anomaly. And it's an anomaly rooted in some facts, fact being that he was a 20-year NBA veteran running the show for one of the most legendary and iconic teams in a transition period in basketball, being the Phoenix Suns, the run-and-gun seven seconds or less Phoenix Suns. So, Shahari, argue this point against me. Do you think if there was a black point guard with the tenure, career, and experience of Steve Nash— do you think he he would get this job as easily as Steve Nash did? Because well, Steve Nash is, I mean, argue we can argue against this. I don't think you guys will because you're knowledgeable basketball fans. Steve Nash is an all-time top five to ten point guard in NBA history. That's no discussion. No discussion. No, no Let's discussion. not forget that. This isn't just a random white NBA player coming off a retirement, getting one of the most coveted head coaching positions. This is an NBA player who's a legend, who has front office experience as an advisor for the Warriors, coaching players on a one-on-one -on -one level, getting this job because, like you said, Nabil, the superstars wanted him, and they probably want him for a reason. They've worked with him in the past. I don't think so. I don't think he would be he would be at the place if they wanted him to be. They would have made him an assistant coach first and see. You let's think, see how you, this goes. So you think a black point guard who averaged sixteen and ten for ten plus seasons with the resume we just listed out wouldn't get a head coaching job right off the bat? Nope. Sure. Let me give an example real quickly. I don't think but, so. Uh, there's a point guard in my opinion that once he retires, he will have a plethora of head coaching. Can I options. take a guess before you go? I'm sure we both know it. Right? CP3? Yeah, hey. that's what I was thinking too. Yeah. <laughs> Once the point guard retires, I guarantee you there's going to be 15 teams that come up to him right there offering him the, yeah. that job right then and there that we want you to be head coach. Dude, when you look at he's point guard. He's going to get head coach. That's he's going to get, no, he's he's gonna gonna get a head coach in position. I promise you he'll right now. He'll take a little break from basketball and then he'll get a head coach. There's going to be players like Devin Booker. Look at that, Chauncey Billups. He's about to get one with no experience. That's what I'm saying. There's going to be players like Devin Booker and I think these new up and coming point guards, John Morant being one of them, I think they're going to 
going to want CP3 to mentor them and coach them. I think now we're looking a lot more at coaches being mentors for these players to end up getting to the next level. To piggyback off your point, Nabil, let's look back at the 2008 Olympics, right? Jason Kidd had no business talent-wise being on that team, but he was literally a coach on the floor and formed these relationships with these superstar generational players and then boom, four years later, he's a head coach. Yeah. So it's all about relationships. It's all about relationships and whether or not these players respect you and your ability to command respect and your ability to really give direction and be a general. And I think to your point, man, I think we're talking about like Patrick Ewing, right? I think it's going to be a lot more difficult for a center, especially in today's NBA, to end up being a head coach as opposed to a point guard. I think point guards are going to be coveted. Uh, these next coming years to have them as head coaches. So almost every single former player head coach that I can think of is a point guard. Yeah. I mean, you're, you're, almost. you're the coach on the actual team, right? Or like you're the coach on the court when you're playing at the same time, you're running the whole offense and who's running offense better than Steve Nash in the past 10 years. Yeah. CP three. That's the Pablo only Prigioni, maybe. <laughs> I mean, yeah, yeah. Right. Ricky, <laughs> I'm done. <laughs> Yeah, Ricky. Playoff Pablo, like, baby. Game six. Sure. I will, I will tell you this. I would say that this would be a complete case of white privilege if Ricky Rubio decided to literally retire tomorrow and he got the head coaching position Agreed. in the Brooklyn Nets. I think somebody as big as Steve Nash, who's a cultural icon, not, an, not only in America, but a Canadian icon as well, where basketball is actually invented. That By he, the way, he was born in South Africa, so oh, he's boy, technically sorry. an African-Canadian. That, <laughs> An African Canadian American. Yeah, you talk about diversity. There you go. Uh, I mean, yeah, I think I think that's where I just don't understand the, the question of white privilege is whenever we have somebody as qualified as this person end up getting it. And on top of that, dude, let's not forget that the NBA is what over 90 percent black in the first place. Yeah, uh, true, very true. And for that to be the case, where your alpha dog on the team is an African American rooted uh, in cultural discussions in activism in both Kyrie and Kevin Durant, the fact that these guys are pulling for Nash tells you something about the situation as well. What do you got to say about that, Shahariar? Where you at? Come back, fire at us, bro. I just don't think you're looking at the bigger picture, especially in the 2020 view, is that at the end of the day, uh, all the killings that have happened this year, all of the different things, and there, there's bound to happen to change, right? Of the voter oppression, of things, of those accounts. And I think that that's a big factor in what plays into it, too. As, uh, like you say, Katie and Kyrie Irving, they're big proponents of improving the black culture. Yeah. I understand that meritocracy is there. I'm not saying, but you, you don't think that there is one player that you could uh, possibly, okay, Tracy McGrady. If we took Tracy McGrady and made him the head coach right now, right? Why couldn't have they, they have done that? Because Tracy McGrady, one, isn't a floor general. Two, Tracy McGrady hasn't formed those relationships with these players like Steve Nash has. And How has, do we know that? Because of his job. He's a commentator on ESPN. Steve Nash worked as an advisor for the Warriors, giving one-on-one coaching to some of the biggest names in the history of basketball. Bottom. Let me just clear this up first, because you're absolutely right, Shahari. Like today's landscape with the shootings, with Black Lives Matter, I don't think anyone at this table, given our backgrounds as people of color as well, will disagree with the fact that white privilege is a very real thing in today's society. And we can go on a tangent and have that discussion. I'm not interested in having right now. But again, it comes down to the fact that Kyrie Irving is literally one of the biggest social activists in the NBA, extremely intelligent young man, 
He still believes the world is flat. Yeah, still believe, yeah. so really smart right there. Qu- questionable, questionable uh, <laughs> thoughts. He's a critical thinker, I guess. But um, but still, the fact that someone who pushed one of the biggest pushers for wearing social justice messages on the back of your jerseys wanted Steve Nash tells me everything I need to know about this. Yeah, and I, again, I think that the NBA has done a great job in you know being socially active, and I think has done a much better job than the MLB and the NFL could ever have done, right? And I think that when we look at when we also look at it from this standpoint of look at ownership, black ownership amongst uh, amongst the NBA, right? Michael Jordan owns an NBA team. Uh, the NFL, there's no black owner in the NFL that I can think of off the top it's of my head. It's a good old boys club. Yeah, it's, it's legit that. Same thing with the MLB. I don't think there's a black owner in the MLB either. So I think, you know, and I, I think we've all, you know, been coming to consensus that once LeBron retires or hits that, you know, his Nike stock ends up uh, eclipsing a billion dollars, I think he's going to end up being a majority owner for an NBA team too. And not to mention, I think, you know, who, who knows? There's rumors that I've heard that Matthew Perry, uh, you know, newly tied a billionaire, may be interested in buying the Atlanta Hawks, which... I think that'd be really damn dope too. So I think the NBA has done everything that it possibly can to end up, you know, enticing black ownership and to entice, you know, the black culture to come in and accept it. So, you know, if we're talking about quote unquote wokeness in 2020, right? I think the NBA has done everything right. I think, you know, th- there could have been, and I think, you know, look at the superstars too. They've done everything right. Remember, you know, Jordan in the eighties and nineties always stated that he wanted to stay away from social activism and, you know, just uh, Republicans buy sneakers too and stuff like that, right? <laughs> yeah, him and Berkeley. Yeah, exactly. So, uh, you know, a po- a politics, uh, political views aside, everybody's entitled to their own opinion. Um, but, you know, to stay, whatever is happening with the tragedies in 2020, I think the NBA has done completely uh, the right thing to stay on the right side of history 20 years from now when we look back at it. And they're getting a guy in Steve Nash who, right off the bat, I mean, his interview on Inside the NBA, TNT's crew, I don't know if you guys saw it or not. One of the first things he acknowledges, yeah, I'm, I'm kind of skipping the line here. I acknowledge that. But... I think it helps Steve Nash's argument that one, Shahari, you brought this up that he's a great guy, and he also acknowledges the injustices done to people of of color in of the community, in the world, in society. Um, he's not just a guy who comes in and is is a part of the good old boys club, hanging out with Bob Meyer, just you know, in the Golden State suites, kicking back. He's a guy who's involved with these players and these communities as well. My main thing is like, look, man, we have you know affirmative action hiring all the time and there's a good reason for it and i you know i think people make the arguments for and against it and i think in a in a in a culture where meritocracy isn't fully realized and rationalized i think it ended up working but in an era that comp your the main goal that you have in sports is to end up winning I, I think you can't have things such as affirmative action or, you know, even reverse affirmative action in this case, right? Uh, a majority black league hiring a white coach. I, I think that just goes out the window. I think you don't hire Steve, you know, you don't hire a black coach in for the Brooklyn Nets for the sake of him being black. I think you hire the coach that can end up, you think that can end up getting you the farthest to what you have with the collection of talent around you. And I think that's what Brooklyn believed, right? Brooklyn believed that Steve Nash is going to get them to the promised land. And uh, we have to do our weekly ringer shout out here. <laughs> uh, ringer shout out JJ Reddit's podcast. He was talking to uh, Kevin Durant very recently about this signing. And one thing, Shahar, you mentioned, like, why couldn't Tracy McGrady do this, right? A guy like Tracy McGrady, one of the most talented players ever that I've seen as far as raw natural talent goes, Jeff Van Gundy, his former coach with the Houston Rockets, was on record several times saying that if McGrady was obsessed with basketball, he would have been one of the all-time greatest players in the history of basketball. Kevin Durant said this about Nash. He said he was absolutely obsessed with the game. I mean, when Nash was with Phoenix, Dan Tony would mention 
Nash probably watched more film than D'Antoni or the other assistant coaches. So again, this isn't a guy who's coming in, who's just a talented basketball player, who's just put up numbers in the past. This is a guy who was obsessed over basketball at a point in time where basketball became what it is today in the three-point shooting run-and-gun landscape that we have. I agree. Sure. So question for you. Are you more upset at the fact that Steve Nash got this job for the uh, for the Brooklyn Nets? Or are you more upset at the fact that he's just, it's it's a white guy getting the job in, in general? Like, would you have been more upset? Like, would you have been upset if, let's say, he got the job for the Sacramento Kings? Would that have made you mad? Yeah. I, it's, not, it's not about the Nets or anything about that. It's at the end of the day, it's that you're putting a player that hasn't had a coaching job into a head coach position when there are steps and procedures that you go through to get to that position. There are people with 10-year records of history as being a coach where they haven't gotten the opportunity to even get to that position. I'm saying is, is that give them the opportunity to be at that same position. I'm not I'm not asking for special treatment. I'm asking for equal treatment. That's why didn't, it. Why, why didn't you have the same energy when Mark Jackson got a coaching job? Well, we weren't doing the podcast back then. I'm sorry, <laughs> sir. Touche, <laughs> touche. Would you have the same energy if, let's say, um, let me think of an example of a recently retired black point guard. Let's see. Chauncey Billups is the one that's coming to mind. Although he hasn't gotten the job yet, he's likely to get it with Indiana. But a guy like Chauncey Billups, his only experience post-career has been commentating on ESPN. Are you going to have the same energy if Chauncey Billups gets the Pacers' job? I'll be ecstatic for Chauncey Billups to get a job. It's awesome that he's getting the opportunity to get a head coaching job, but at the same time, it's showing that uh, you're not only giving the opportunity to just Steve Nash then. That's that's the benefit that you get from Chauncey Billups getting have, that. You have those examples, though, yes, is what I'm saying. I'm saying is is that how often does that happen? Like you said, it's not that Jason often. Jason Kidd. It's not Derek that Fisher. often. Derek Fisher. Like you said, it's Mark not that Jackson. often. It's not that Magic often. Johnson. Isaiah and when Thomas. was the last time Isaiah that Thomas. happened? Sam Cassell? Sam, well, Sam Cassell's an assistant. He's an assistant. assistant. Yeah. assistant. You've even seen coaches that are black have gone back to the uh, the NBA. But, the Sam, but Sam Cassell's not like a legend. Like a lot of these assistants that you're talking about, Shahari, are like a lot of times, Nabil, I don't know if you noticed this as well, when the when they call a timeout and the camera crew pants to like the bench and the assistants are getting off the bench, I notice a lot of like role players from the 90s and early 2000s on these staffs like a greg buckner an old player from the denver nuggets on a random coaching staff a lot of these assistants shahari weren't legendary guys like i think we're i think what a lot of people are losing in this argument is the fact that (laughs) again steve nash is one of the five best point guards in nba history like that that has a weight to it that transcends race i think i look at another thing too right like fiscally speaking uh, you know, Steve Nash has made over a hundred million dollars in his playing career, not including sponsorships. Like he, he does, he's not doing this for the money, right? At all. If we look at somebody like Ime Udoka, if we look at somebody like, you know, who else is Vitaly Potapenko, like, you know, some of these players that literally nobody's ever heard of after they retired or Tyrone even during Lee. their playing. Uh, yeah. Tyrone Lou, right? Exactly. I mean, these guys, yeah, they didn't make the hundred, two hundred million dollar contract. So, you know, and if they weren't fiscally smart with their money, yeah, you need this job to retain, you know, your st- your standard of living as well. So you're doing it for that. This guy literally ended up joining the NBA just because he was so passionate about basketball and he wanted to end up doing it. Same thing when CP3 ends up doing it. Dude, CP3's probably made close to two over $200 million in his playing career. He doesn't need to coach at all. You're doing it because of the love of the game, right? So I think for me, that goes farther than somebody that's Tyrone Lou 
that who's who honestly kind of got that coaching job as a fluke, right? He ended up David Black got fired out of nowhere, David Black. and you yeah. ended up retaining. You ended up getting a Jesus team Christ. with Kyrie Irving, Kevin Love, and LeBron James. Where LeBron, I'm sorry, LeBron was the head coach of that team, not Tyron Lue. <laughs> Daddy LeBron. Yeah. So I mean, if you're telling me that, then the greatest player in NBA history. Oh my God. If you're telling if you're telling me that, then uh, you know I, I think the whole thing of privilege and just it, it just it doesn't retain to me, especially when you have somebody who doesn't need the money to end up playing uh, or sorry coaching such as Steve. Shahar, let's say you're the owner of the Brooklyn Nets. You're sitting in the room with your alpha dog, the guy who's worth $42 million a year and then probably an extra 40 or $50 million in endorsements in Kevin Durant. And he tells you, I want Steve Nash. Are you just going to tell him no because there's policies and procedures to that? I'm going to have a general conversation with him first and see where we stand and see if we can come to a conclusion with someone that has a little more experience. Maybe Steve Nash can be an assistant coach for a year and then move up to the coaching position. There are so many different ways we could have done it. It doesn't necessarily mean that you automatically give him the position. I'm not arguing that no one else has gotten the opportunity to do that, but I'm saying it's a very rare occurrence, and especially with the political landscape we have today, it would have been politically... um, I would say wise, that would be the best way of me saying it, is just have the opportunity where you say, we want Steve Nash to be the coach. He's going to be an assistant coach for one year. We're going to train him, get him up to the caliber, and there he goes. He's going to run with it. Agreed that it's like there's a lot of reactionary takes to this signing that make it a bad look politically. But again, those aren't nuanced takes that take into consideration all the things we've discussed. In the end, Steve Nash, I think he's going to be a badass coach for that team. I, again, this isn't this isn't just a random guy. This is a top five point guard in NBA history taking over the reins of this team. I completely agree that he's where where you're coming from, but I I'm looking at it as an overall aspect, especially with uh, how things are going in our lifestyle. We want the opportunity to give our people and everyone in America the same opportunities, and that's why we call it the land of opportunities. Who would you? So, tell tell me what would make you happy. Who would you have liked to see the Brooklyn Nets hire with this pool of coaches that are available right now? To be honest, uh, why not just move up their assistant coach right now? Like Jacques Vaughn taking over. Yeah. Why not? Yeah, has he done a bad job so he ha- far? He hasn't done a bad job, but when you have superstar big egos like Kyrie Irving and Kevin Durant, they respect guys who have knowledge of the game, guys who've been there, guys who've been in their shoes, who know the level of scrutiny that comes with being under a microscope as an NBA superstar in today's social media age. Yeah, for me, dude, like I look at it as if I'm Kevin Durant, I want a coach that's going to help me develop to that next role of you know being the best and giving me areas that I have deficiencies in my games I know for a fact that I know for a fact that KD will look at Steve Nash and say that hey Steve Nash I know you can help me fix these deficiencies that I have in my game and get me to the next level I think if he looks at Jock deficiencies yeah right <laughs> Uh, I think if he looks at Jock Vaughn, I think it's like, yo, Jock Vaughn, what have you done in the league that I haven't done in my first year as a rookie throughout your whole collective career? I think there's very few people that both Kyrie Irving and Kevin Durant can look at and say, yo, what are you talking to me about basketball? Right? Like, what are you to me? I think if you, if both of them look at Steve Nash as like a god, right? Both of them look at him as, dude, you re- you revolutionized the point guard position. You revolutionized basketball in the early 2000s. Yeah, I want to learn from what you have to say, and I respect your opinion. And like you said, Vala, managing those egos, right? You're gonna That's listen. To, you're gonna you're yeah. gonna listen to somebody like Steve Nash. Are is did LeBron listen to Tyrone Lue? No. Or did or? But guess what? LeBron listened to Pat Riley. 
LeBron listened to somebody with a big name. You know, it's the same thing. It's like Kevin Durant. I don't, I don't see Kevin Durant, nor do I see Kyrie Irving listening even to a Chauncey Billups, right? I see them listening wholeheartedly to somebody like Steve Nash. And that has nothing to do with race. I think it just has to do with the aspect of how good of a player he was. Yeah, and in basketball, I feel like most of most of the guys that you play with, if you've grown up around basketball, um, you've grown around, grown up around multicultural setting in terms of seeing teammates like for example with my high school experience i went to high school at william b travis i played with a couple of guys who ended up in the nba and the harrison twins i never never in my life having come from iran and grown up in sugarland a predominantly pakistani indian white people area i'd never really like been around black people i play basketball in high school i have christmas thanksgiving road trips with the entire families of my teammates, and you really get a different perspective in life. So it's not like these are your typical like good old boy NFL owners clubs that you're getting in these coaching positions. These are guys who understand the culture. These are guys who have been around the culture and understand the plight that a lot of these players go through. So there's that aspect of it to consider as well that I think a lot of people miss that haven't played basketball growing up. I do agree. And I look, are there, is there a disproportionate amount of white uh, coaches in the NBA Absolutely. relative to the amount of black talent that you have as players? I, yeah, I'm not going to deny that, Sharon. I completely agree with you on that. Are there certain changes that can be made to incentivize more coaches uh, and GMs to be uh, you know, representative of the players that are playing in the NBA? Absolutely. No, no denying that. But I think my main thing and the main thing I'm having a problem with is when people want to oscillate a single instant of somebody as Steve Nash, somebody who's done so much for the black community as well. And, you know, pinpoint that as white privilege. I think that's the only problem that I'm having. And, you know, I, I think and I think, you know, somebody like J.J. Redick as well, somebody, you know, these white players that are going to have that, that we're going to have as well. I think there's going to be other you know white players that are eventually going to get into coaching. And I don't want to preclude them from the same opportunities that other players are going to have as, as well. Let's not, you know, let's not be hypocritical on, on, on the standpoint of, you know, just selectively choosing black folks, but then oscillating these really impressive white folks that just happen to be white and they can't choose the color of their skin either. So, so two things, Nabil, to piggyback off your points. Number one, J.J. Reddit has the nicest tattoo sleeve of any white player I've ever seen in my life. You've explained your affinity to J.J. Reddit sure. multiple times. On the okay. Podcast. I agree. Okay. I agree. And then number two, I think it hurts the argument to argue uh, the fact that white privilege is a real thing by blowing this up because it, it, we're being disingenuous in saying that we have an example of white privilege when we've explained everything we've explained, when we've kind of laid out the grounds that sure, white privilege is a thing. White privilege is a reality in today's society. And it's a reality in a lot of different aspects of employment. I mean, I, I see it in my job in healthcare. I'm sure you guys, my goodness, you Nabil in business, it's like no other, um, and in different parts of our life as well growing up. But we can't just jump to white privilege and be reactionary when you have an isolated incident in a player like Steve Nash who has the resume that he does. And I, you know, again, I'm, I'm excited to see the opportunities that other point guards that have no experience in basketball uh, end up having. I think Steve Nash, the Steve Nash hiring can end up being kind of a trailblazing moment in the history of the NBA where you have point guards such as Chauncey Billups, you know, maybe CP3 in the near future, especially with this new era of all these, you know, the greatest eras of point guards that we ever had in the era that we're currently living in. Let's see what happens in the next 10 to 20 years to see the new opportunities that coaches and GMs end up having as well. Real quick, let me ask you all this. Uh, Non-point guards. 
former or current players, who do y'all think is a great candidate to be a head coach? I got one off the top of my head, but I want to hear y'all's. Non, non-point guards yeah. to, be a, to, be in the, uh, to be a head coach. Can I throw mine out I mean, there real quick? I think, I think Braun would be a great choice, obviously. Oh, Braun. Yeah, if yeah. he doesn't go the ownership route, yeah. which I think he will, that's a really good one. I'm thinking Shane Battier. Yeah, fuck yeah. Former Dookie? Oh, yeah, God. Yeah. We got to bring up a Dookie, at yeah, least like every now. other podcast. To be honest, man, why not Rajon Rondo? I honestly oh, think he'd be a great. You're killing me, dude. I, I honestly, I think he's a great player. He's, he's rubbed so many people the wrong yeah. way. Yeah, yeah, but dude, he's he's so smart. Do you remember those old school Rajon Rondo oh, plays? Oh, of course. Yeah, he was a deadly point that, guard that with the Celtics IQ, before he tore his ACL. I mean, yeah. even as an assistant coach, get him in there with that point guard IQ, man. Another God. another person I would think of that, um, even though he's he's the direct opposite of a point guard, Kevin Garnett. I think that intensity at Kevin Garnett. I think so many players would just want to be uh, would want to play for. You think you think Kevin Garnett, like uh, as far as probabilities go, if we looked at over unders, would be the most likely to throw a chair on the court. Hundred percent. I think yeah. he'd be the closest. He'd be the closest thing to choking out a ref directly if he missed a call. Him and Ron Artest would be an interesting bet line as to yeah. which of them would choke an official first. An- another one that I think he's actually gonna end up being a head coach very soon. Tim Duncan. Mm. The big fundamental. You think he wants to go that route? I think so. He's on the staff. He's yeah, on the Spurs coaching staff. I, would, right? I really wouldn't be surprised if he ends up taking over the Spurs position after Popovich leaves in a few years. I really would not be surprised at all. Um, but yeah, man, that's, I, I think collectively, I think this is a damn good argument, man. I think, sure, you brought up some damn good fucking points. Uh, you know, I, I think, you know, again, I think we're, I think we're doing better. Uh, I think we're doing better than, you know, what we can expect in the NBA. But, you know, again, for some people, right, that I think they believe that this hiring was completely logical. I think some people are clearly upset about this hiring. And I think, you know, this hiring is going to, you know, stand the test of time until next year, right? I think the successes of Steve Nash are going to end up proving a lot of things for the next uh, next five years to come. If Steve Nash has a great year, maybe we see more of this happening. If he ends up not having a good year, then maybe this ends up uh, changing things the other way. Shahari, will you change your mind if the Nets have like a 61 season and win the championship next year? If the Nets win the championship, I will go and give... Uh, Steve Nash a big kiss on his lips. Wow. You heard it here first on wow. After the Lucas Sports Steve Nash, I'm coming, bro. It. He'll yeah. take it. Wow, okay. So Come on the pod, too. Yeah, yeah, Steve. we can get him on the pod. Steve, um, you hear we can first. get the whole Inside the NBA TNT crew on here. We got some snacks on the table Perfect. Charles Barkley can sniff out and get on top of. I'm excited, dude. Yeah, I yeah. think it's Steve Nash, you heard it here first, man. You'll have a great, you know, great-looking uh, big old Middle Eastern man that's going to give you a nice sloppy <laughs> kiss on the lips if you end up winning the championship. Mm. So it's all incentivized. You know, forget your contract, forget KD, forget Kyrie Irving. Sherry's going to kiss you right on the lips, man. How many games do y'all think it takes before Steve Nash gets his first tech? Five. <laughs> over under five games you heard it here first all right fellas well deuces stay woke stay happy enjoy the nba playoffs and enjoy the rest of 2020 all you can yeah this is this has been a fun one i appreciate shaharier thanks for coming on and chatting with us it, it, it's rough going up against two guys who are so adamant against you but you held it down man i appreciate Killed it, it my dude all right man take it easy fellas deuces Take care, guys. bye